we're in this uh, Thanksgiving season, right? And they say that Thanksgiving is a very emotional time. It's an emotional time because people travel thousands of miles to be with people that they only see sometimes once a year. And then they discover that it, once a year is way too often. So it's like, okay, you know, it's time to, um, you know, somebody said Thanksgiving is a time to count your blessings, one by one, as each relative goes back to their home. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, it, there's a, a, ch- a whole chapter dedicated to all of the blessings that we have and gratitude for everything that we have and get, that God has given us. Now, with Thanksgiving around the corner... Uh, we typically anticipate messages about being thankful to God for everything that we have, thankful for our spouses, thankful for our jobs, for our children, for everything, all of the blessings that God has given us, right? Of course, we also thank God for the freedoms that we have, the privileges that we have to come to church to worship the Lord. You thank God for your pastors, Amen. Uh, but, you know, as I started thinking about all of the freedoms that we have, there's a lot of the freedoms that we once took for granted that are really not there in so many cases. Now, you know, we're still, you know, in a state that allows us to do what we're doing. I mean, in some places you can't even have, you know, Thanksgiving dinner unless you, like, eat a bite and then put it back up and stay six feet away. I don't know. I don't know how it all works. I, I do know that there's been a lot of stress lately. And this is not about a political statement because, uh, you know, that's not uh, what I'm about. But I will tell you one thing, that the very freedoms that we once took for granted uh, are freedoms that are slipping from under our fingers. And we need to be aware that our trust has to be in God. And not in politicians, not in someone releasing food off of containers off of the coast of California. It's got to be in the Lord. And so I'm thankful today that we do have a roof over our heads. I'm thankful for the food on my table. I'm thankful for all, for all the blessings that God has given us and God has bestowed upon us. But you know what? I'm way more thankful for something that... We kind of like, it slips through our fingers. You know, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were here uh, during a, um, a, um, a Saturday night seeking. And I was praying, I was saying, God, forgive me, I'm just going to be very upfront and honest. I said, God, I'm so tired of, you know, the Thanksgiving sermons about, oh, thank God for your food, and thank God for the car, and thank God for your job, and thank God for this, thank, 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 thank. Like, why do we wait for Thanksgiving to just thank God for all those things? Is somebody with me? Come on. Right? And so I'm like, I'm, I, I just, like, Lord, what do you want me to share? I, like, I literally said, God, what is your heart for your people? And so I felt his gentle voice say this to me. He said, and I, I'm going to read it because I wrote it down. He said, there is a place in me, an undiscovered place. It's a place of gratitude for intimacy, and we have to discover that place of gratitude 
for intimacy. There is a place, it is an undiscovered place of gratitude, thankfulness, thanksgiving for intimacy. So let me take you to uh, some scriptures that I want to read for us today. First one is found in John 15, 4 to 6. It says, remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burnt. And I want to take us a couple of chapters further to John 17, where it says, I have given them glory. This was the priestly prayer of Jesus on behalf of all of us, his children. And he said, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, in you, in me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then, look at the person next to you and say, then, then the world will know that you have sent me and you have loved them as you have loved me. Now, you know, when we talk about intimacy, intimacy, I think, is a concept that scares a lot of Christians. It does. You say, why is that? Because we're scared with the idea of going to God in vulnerability. To be seen for who you truly are. Not what you just present to people, but what is truly on the inside. Who you truly are, naked before God, with no pretenses, no excuses. David, just David. Some of us struggle with deep insecurities when it comes to having intimate relationship with God. Insecurities that are rooted in a belief that we are not lovable. That we're not good enough for God. That even to desire to spend time with God is like wrong because how could God spend time with me? How would he want to spend time with me? I fail him all the time. I'm just not good enough. Maybe you're striving to get his approval, but it's just not working. And you have no peace in your heart. Maybe some of you, some of us, struggle with rejection. We're used to being the center of attention. And so we focus on the performance act, hoping that God will like us, that he'll be pleased with us. Maybe he will smile upon us. And yet we know that the Bible says that he sings over us. But we're trying to gain his approval somehow. God, here I am. Just take note of me. And so that night as I was sitting right here, I wrote down some things in my journal that I want to share with you that I thought would be hopefully clarifying about the blessings of intimacy with God. So I wrote this. I said, intimacy 
is a place where sometimes I am quiet as I commune with God. A place to open my heart so that he can see into me. Intimacy, into me, see, you know what I mean? There's a connection there. And I can love him passionately. A place that I can hear and I can feel his heartbeat as I literally rest into him. A place where I can become secure in him. A place where I lose my fears, my worries, my shame, my guilt, my condemnation, my sense of abandonment, and my loneliness. It's a place where his love covers all my sins. A place where I sense and I receive peace, where his spirit is near, and I can rest in the fact that I am loved no matter what, and what, no matter what I have done. I wrote this, I said, I need this intimate place where I can hear his voice in the middle of a noisy world. If I want it, I can dwell in that place of intimacy with God. If, big letter, I want it, the choice is mine. I won't take it for granted because it is where I find security, strength, peace, and true freedom. Intimacy, in a technical sense, is described as close familiarity or friendship, a closeness of sorts. We all want to be loved. We all want to be loved. We want to be loved for who we are. We want to be understood. We want to be cared for. We want to be close to family and friends. That's just something that is innate in each and every one of us. We can't do without that. We need to be in community somehow. That is just so important. But when it comes to intimacy with God and intimacy in general, even with others, God has to be our starting point. If we get a right with God, church, we're going to get a right with everybody else. If we get our relationship and the intimacy with God the right way, you know what? All other relationships are going to be so much better and so much more fruitful. If we can't be intimate with a perfect God who loves us unconditionally, I'm telling you today that it will be harder for us to be intimate with anyone around us because those people cannot love us perfectly. And the mistake that we make is that we hinge the very connection with people on the fact that, well, whether they love me or they love me not, if they don't love me, fine, so be it. You know, I'll just walk away. And if they love me, well, then I'll stay. And that's just not the way it works. You need to find out the heart of the individual as you need to find out the heart of God. And that is the place where you truly know, you know what, I'm safe here. I can be here. You will find safety in friends when you will find safety in God first. If you have not found safety in relationships with friendships, you need to check your relationship with God. How intimate are you with God? Where are you in your connection with God? We question ourselves and we question our relationships and we wonder what is going on. And I'm telling you, go back to square one. Go back to where it all starts. 
And that is in God and with God. I'm not talking about loving God. I'm talking about being saturated with God. I'm talking about being conquered by God. You know, in the Old Testament, there's a picture that is presented of cities. Cities were fortified. Walls were very high and very thick. Why is that? They did that so that they would not be conquered. All of us do the same thing when it comes to our relationships. We build walls. We build walls with God first, and then we expect that our relationship with others are going to be fantastic, and it's just not going to work because we need to tear down those walls. When we put up walls so that we're not conquered or invaded by those around us, it is the same walls that are going to keep us away from our relationship with God. Church, there's an inner conquering that has to take place in all of us because God knows that it is absolutely critical to our spiritual well-being. You see, we all love to work for God. We love to do things for God. But how about knowing the God of the work? I'm going to tell you right now. In 1990, when we first entered full-time ministry, my wife and I, you know what my biggest mistake was? It's to be so busy with the work of the Lord, but not spending any time with the Lord of the work. And God had to pull the plug on that. Say enough of that. And, you know, what I thought would have taken, you know, five years, a year, two years, who knows, 25 years later. And we wonder... And we say, God, it has to be my timing. No, 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 no. It has to be in God's timing because he's so jealous for your heart and my heart. He's so jealous for that intimacy that he wants with each and every one of us. We have an ache in our hearts that only God can satisfy. We know something is missing. and We don't know why. We come to church and we lack passion. We look at people worshiping, lazing their hands, going all out, jumping up and down, and we're wondering, what is wrong with me? What is wrong in my heart? Something is lacking. Something is missing. I heard a podcast this week. The words that he shared about um, at one point in this message caught my attention. He said this. Is that if our love for God is fading, that is a sign of a disordered life. It's a wrongly prioritized life. What place does God have in the priorities of your life? Do you talk the good talk? You say what you have to say, but not do what he says that we should do as believers. 
Guys, I'm not standing here in condemnation today. I'm bearing my heart to you because we all struggle with the same thing. God wants to be intimate with us, and yet we find all other reasons and all other things to do other than him. Paul, in Philippians chapter 3, said this. He says, that I may know him, that I may know him. This has to become the supreme goal of each and every one of us to say that I may know him, Christ, and Christ alone. In Christ alone, I put my trust. No one else. Not Christ first, but Christ only. Nothing, and no one else has to take that place. Not even a second or a third place can take that place. So why should we have gratitude for intimacy? Because when you learn to have gratitude for intimacy, you learn a few things. I'm going to share three things very quickly this morning. Number one, you're never lonely and you're never alone. You're never lonely and you're never alone when Christ resides in your life. You know, when I moved from Italy in... 1986, that was a long time ago. Uh, I had to stay for a few weeks before I waited to be married to that beautiful, gorgeous woman right there. That's my wife of 30, almost six years. Um, next May, thank you, Jesus. Uh, but I had to stay with her brother and his wife. And I remember the, the first night when I went to bed, you know, away from the city that I grew up in, away from the people that I I had known all my life. I felt so lost. I'm like, what am I? I'm like, what am I doing? Like, all my friends are back home. You're going to feel that, Lyndon. Get ready. My parents are not near me. All the security blankets that I had, they were gone. And so what I tried to do, I tried to, to you know, to... To compensate by trying to be liked by everybody. I wanted everyone to kind of like get to know me. I'm a good guy, you know. I'm a good person. With God, we don't have to do that. We don't have to try to impress him. He loves us already unconditionally. That means without condition. You don't need to depend on people to like you for God to like you. Or for God to be next to you, for you not to feel alone or not to feel lonely. Because you know what? He will be there every step of the way. He will be there. You are never alone when you're, when you're in a place of intimacy with God. John 16 says this. Do you now believe? Jesus replied, a time is coming. And in fact has come when you will be scattered each of you to your own home, you will leave me all alone. Yes, Jesus has said that. Notice he didn't say you will leave me lonely because Jesus would never feel loneliness. His father was with him. The only time he felt loneliness was at the cross, right? Why have you forsaken me when he took your sin and my sin? But he said, you will leave me alone. In other words, you will scatter. You will leave me. Yet I am not alone. Or my Father is with me. I want to ask you a question. Can you say that? 
Can you say that? Can you truly say, I am never alone because the Father is with me? Jesus had an intimate relationship with the Father. And that is why he never was alone. And neither will we when we develop that proper relationship of intimacy with the Father who just so desires to be part of our lives. We will never be alone. Number two, when we understand that we need to have gratitude for intimacy, we will really understand that God doesn't just love us. God really likes you. God really likes you. That's news for some of you because you felt the opposite. You know what? God really likes you. That's a foreign concept because you know what? We think that as people run away from us that, well, it must be something with me. So I'm not a likable person. Well, people don't want to stay here. I, I'm not a likable guy. You know, sometimes as pastors, all honesty, we feel the same thing. It's like you look down and you say and you see people and then so all of a sudden you don't see them anymore. I'm like, oh, must have been me. You know what? All pastors face that. Get over it, David. Okay, I'm getting over it. We know and accept the fact that he loves us, but the fact that God likes us is a different story. Now look at Psalm 139. It's going to put it up. It says, you discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. But you know what? I want to share the Passion Translation verse for this because it is astounding. Listen to this. You are so intimately aware of me. That same intimacy that we want to develop, God already knows everything about you. So you can't fool him. Lord, you read my heart like an open book. He can read everything about us. And you know all the words I'm about to speak before I even start a single sentence. God already knows it all. You know every step I will take before my journey even begins. You know what? That can either make you feel like, oh my gosh, I might as well just throw in the towel right now and give up. Or it can cause you to say, wow, what a mighty God I serve. That he is right there next to me. That he's familiar with me. That he knows every intimate thing, every intimate thought, every action that I take, he is aware of who you are, guys. He is aware of who I am because he knows everything about you and everything about me. And you know what? Even though he knows everything about you and even though he knows all of the things that you're going to do that are going to cause your failure and your lack of success, you know what? He still likes you. He still likes you. I just could tell you, you know what? Get over it when people don't like you. God likes you. What else matters? Who else matters in this life? If I have the absolute pleasure of my Father in heaven over me, you know what? Hey, hit me with your best shot. I want the satisfaction 
of his love for me. You know, he sees, the Bible says, you're going out, you're coming in. His eyes are on you. In Matthew 29, 10, 29, sorry, it says that, and I don't have this verse up, but it says that not even a sparrow falls without his care. He knows about this little, insy, tiny bird. He knows everything about us. Nothing escapes his attention. Lastly, we need to accept that intimacy with God and it's so important because you know what? In the end, you cannot hide from God. And you might as well accept that it's best to be intimate with him than try to hide from him. In Psalm 26, it says this, put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Hmm. I don't like this verse anymore. Let's just scrap it. Put me on trial, Lord, and cross-examine me. Test the motives of my heart, for I am always aware of your unfailing love. Wow. I am always aware of your unfailing love. You know what? I can't say that I am. I can't say it. I don't know if you can. I can't. You're watching this after the fact. Can you say it? And I have lived according to your truth. That's even worse. You know, I'm not an attorney, but I'm, I think I know one thing. I love to, you know, what was that? Matlock? Back in the day, you know, the court settings. And you know what? If you're, if you're an attorney, and maybe Jim, Robert, you guys keep me honest. But it, when you're an attorney and you're examining a witness in a court setting, you try the witness based on what? Evidence. Facts. Right? Does anyone ever try a witness based on motives? Sometimes you can try. You had a motive to kill so-and-so because of so-and-so-and-so-and-so. But you know what? Let me just put it plainly, you know? You're on the witness stand because you stabbed the person and robbed all their belongings, took their car, and drove away. And you got caught, and you get brought into a, 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 law, a court, and you're tried for what you did. You stabbed. I think that that's attempted murder in the second degree, maybe? Is it? I don't know. Third degree? 25th degree. I don't know. Attempted murder. And theft, right? So you get tried on those pieces of evidence. Can you imagine if the witness stands and says, well, I didn't mean to stab him. I mean, he came after me, and I had to defend myself, and I happened to have a knife, so I stabbed him. Oh, you know, the judge would just turn around and say, that's fine. I know. Your motives are just so important. You know, you can just go home. Return the car. Return the wallet with all the money. Let's just call it even. Does that ever happen? I don't think so. I don't think that happens. 
But you know what happens? What happens that God doesn't just, of course, we paid for the consequences of our actions. Let's just be clear on that. But you know what? God understands. He's the only one that truly, purely understands the motives of your heart and my heart. That means what? Why are you saying this? Here's what it means. You can't hide from God. You can try, but you will not succeed. You cannot. You can fool people. You can pull the wool over their eyes, but you cannot fool God. He knows the very motives of your heart. And the question for us to ask ourselves is, am I really, truly being truthful with God? Am I being truthful with God? That is critical, very, very critical that we are honest. I believe in this place of discovery in God. That's where you realize our precious intimacy with God is and how thankful we should be for it. You see, God knows everything about you and me. To know God is to be known by God. That is the ultimate goal of the Christian life. We understand the know God part, but to be known requires a completely different approach. It's called honesty. Honesty. There is nothing, absolutely nothing, that God does not know about us. He sees our best and he sees our worst. He sees our actions and he sees our motives. He sees our propensities toward good and toward evil. He sees the struggle, our bent to do what we think is right, even when he knows that we're going to fail because he knows all things. He knows our victories and he knows our defeats. There's nothing to hide from God. Nothing. Let me conclude with this. Are you Trekkies? Captain Picard was wrong. Space is not the final frontier. Knowing God is the final frontier. I'll do a new show. Knowing God, the final frontier. I need somebody with a South African accent. Ryan, can you just... (laughs) Knowing God is the ultimate destination of our lives. And it's really entirely up to you and me. And I want to give you an opportunity today to come and give God something. David, would you come to the keys? I want to know him more and more. And I want to be thankful for everything that God does and represents. I want to know God. I want to be known by God. But I tell you, that, a, that is a choice and a decision that each and every one of us has to make. Look, you may say to me tonight, this morning, not tonight, this morning, I, you know, that's just not the way I was brought up. You know, I, I was brought up going to church and just singing a couple of songs, doing the liturgy, hearing a sermon, 
and go home. Like, why, why is it that you just got to push this stuff about intimacy? It's like, why, what, what is it? What is it? You know? Sometimes I, you know, I, this is weird. I, I don't know why these thoughts come to me, but I was praying this morning, and I, I could actually see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in a, in, you know, in a Trinity conversation, like an Italian family, you know? It's like Don Corleone is like saying, look at him. Like, I give him everything he needs to do. What's he doing? He's doing nothing. Just look. Just look. Ralph, what can I do? I'm Italian. But you know what? It's like sometimes I think that God must look down at us. I know it puts a smile on our face, and it should. Because, you know, at times I think God must think, my God, what are they doing? It is so simple. Yet we complicate it so much. And I don't want to complicate it. And so... I'm going to ask you today as I close. You know the words of that song, He loves us, oh how He loves us. You know that song, David? Why don't we do that? Just a simple thing, He loves us. And you know what? You can choose to sit in your seat comfortably right where you are. And think that everything is fine with you and it's going to continue being fine with you and your relationship with God. And that's fine. That's between you and God. But I'm challenging you today. If you are not in a place where you're intimacy with the Father. And there's an ache in your heart that just doesn't go away. And you look around you and you say, I would like to have that intimacy that other people have. I love to be able to worship like other people do, but I just can't. I don't know how to do it. Something is lacking in me. Something is missing in me. You know what? You can stay comfortably in your seat this morning, and God bless you, and we'll see you next week. But I'm telling you, you need to get up right now and come to the altar as we sing this song because you know what? Today is the day. Tomorrow is not promised to any of us. I don't know if you have not yet met Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And that means that you understand that Jesus paid the price for you, for your sin. He went on a cross. He died so that you could have life. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to get up right now and to come here and ask him, Lord, I need to know you. I need to open my heart to you. I need to be humble before you. I need to do 